in keeping with my trend of reviewing shows that are one year old, today let's look at Jujutsu Kaisen. The story is about an ordinary high school student, Yuji Itadori, who is a part of the school's occult club. The club came into possession of a cursed object. However, Megumi Fushiguro has been tasked to find said object by a mysterious employer. Following the scent of the cursed item, Megumi confronts Yuji at the hospital where Yuji's grandpa was. Cursed objects are usually the remain of some sort of powerful demon, in this show referred to as cursed spirits. As it turns out though, the scent was only the box containing the cursed object, and the rest of the occult club has the actual relic, with the intent of trying to unseal it. At the school, the two members of the club unwrap the object, and find it's a demonic finger, and literal hell descends on them. By unwrapping the cursed object, it releases cursed energy, which then attracts other cursed spirits. Confusing, I know. Megumi is revealed to be a jujutsu sorcerer, someone who can see these spirits and can fight them by channeling their own cursed energy and manifesting it in different ways to combat these threats. After being overwhelmed, Yuji shows up to help, despite Megumi telling him to wait outside of the school. Yuji ends up being caught by the spirit, and with Megumi being injured, Yuji decides to honor his grandpa's last words and swallows the cursed object to gain enough power to defeat the spirit. While it works, it turns out that the finger actually belongs to a special great cursed spirit, Sakuna. God, try saying that fast five times? Wait, that doesn't sound right. Sakuna takes over Yuji's body and is off to destroy the world. However, Satori Gojo, Megumi's mentor, shows up in the nick of time to overpower him. The fight, however, ends when Yuji takes back control and it seems he can turn it on and off at will. Yuji is taken back to the sorcerer's headquarters in a room with tons of talismans that are used to seal away curses. Gojo offers Yuji a pardon on his execution in exchange for his help. Seeing how Yuji can seemingly control Sukuna at will and the fingers cannot be destroyed, he hopes for him to eat all 20 of Sukuna's fingers and then kill him alongside Sukuna, since curses die alongside their hosts. Now it's up to Yuji and friends to collect all 20 fingers while he learns what it means to be a true jujitsu sorcerer and face a lurking evil who's trying to remake the world for cursed spirits. While the idea is genuinely interesting, the show itself is a very typical shonen show. You have the lovable, goofy main hero who tries to learn his new powers, a stoic side character who tags along, a happy-go-lucky teacher, and typical plot structures which include training and school competition arc. And of course, the Jujutsu sorcerers are structured like a school and partakes in all the shonen school tropes. Normally I hate this kind of formula since it's been done to death since Saint Seiya, god why did I write it like that, and continues to be beaten to death by Boku no Hero and Demon Slayer. However, Jujutsu Kaisen's strongest points are the characters, and they really liven up this generic structure. All the characters are likable, and you really enjoy the time spent watching them grow and fight these cursed spirits. Not only that, but the characters all actually like each other. You'd think Yuji and Megumi are gonna end up like Naruto and Sasuke, where their personalities clash and they end up becoming heated rivals. Or Deku and Bakugo, where it's this annoying love-hate relationship that takes forever to get a payoff. Here, Yuji and Megumi come to an understanding with one another and begin to develop a friendship by episode 5. How refreshing is it that the main stoic side character actually is an emo or sunder who clashes with the cheerful main character? It's little things like that that the show does to set itself apart from the typical shonen tropes. The other thing so great about the show is that it's much darker and gruesome compared to other shonen shows. While other shows, except for Boku no Hero, have death and destruction, the violence in the show is pretty explicit and raises the tension instantly. It's not simple stab wounds or a KO where they eventually recover, or even just dying after a harsh fight. Limbs are ripped off, people are burned alive, guts are smeared all over the walls, and eyes explode. This also works in favor of the main characters though. Because the world they're in is so dark and gruesome, you really get a sense that these characters won't hold back in a fight. They just have this gravitas of being really powerful and not afraid to show it when it matters. 
Compare this to Boku no Hero, where death is not a concept in that world, and all major characters are bound to school rules and generally have no presence because they're so weak. Anytime they get into a fight, you're always expecting them to get down until Deku or a teacher shows up to bail them out. In Jujutsu though, only the three main characters are newcomers, and the rest are established veterans despite still being students. This point is illustrated in the Kyoto Goodwill arc. It's your typical training competition arc that Boku no Hero loves to run to the ground, and those never have anything interesting going on. Just power spam and no one gets hurt. However, the intensity of the fights and how unpredictable the show is actually makes the competition arc interesting here. I mentioned before that the characters all like each other, but that's only true in terms of classmates. Yuji is part of the Tokyo school, while the other class is from Kyoto, and the two classes have a great rivalry. It's almost borderline hate, and for a show this dark, it's not that unbelievable that the two classes hate each other enough to cause some real damage. The competition runs yearly, with only the main three characters being newcomers. There's already established animosity between both classes. The banjo here is great too, since it's just insults and taunts, not spewing strategies and counter strategies while also explaining or being surprised by the powers. As the competition goes on though, it becomes apparent that the two classes do genuinely respect each other, so their hate isn't anything antagonistic. The quite literally biggest thing about this arc is Kyoto's Ayoi Toto, the best brother there ever lived. Ayoi is your typical meathead on paper, but he's actually super smart and knowledgeable on how the curse mechanics work, and actually a softie when it comes to being emotional. And yeah, it's a bit generic for the tough guy to be soft on the inside, but it's done well with the comedy they inject into it. His sudden bromance with Yuji is really funny, but they take it a step further with showing his inner thoughts. He has this sudden daydream of being classmates and best friends with Yuji, and decides to confess to an idol he loves. When he gets shot down, Yuji comes to his aid and cheers him up by taking him for ramen. We cut back to reality where Ayoi is in tears with snot coming down his nose over this. It's an amazing scene and hilarious how they just showed you a visualization of a bromance. They didn't need to do this either, but they went an extra step to tell the joke and make the relationship instantly more memorable. Again, it's the little moments like this that really set the show apart from the rest of the typical shonen. The only downside to this show is the villains, whose motivations are pretty generic, and they don't do nearly as much to make them unique compared to the rest of the show. It's pretty straightforward take over the world plot with no real mystery or hidden agenda. The two main villains that we see, Mahito and Seguru, are basic as far as villains go. Mahito is your typical man-child type, and Seguru is the happy, calm, talking one. Mahito gets to show off his powers a bit more, but it's nothing too crazy, just generic superpowers. Sakuna, the cursed spirit inside Yuji, is part of the course as far as bloodthirsty demons go. He just doesn't do enough in season 1 to actually be considered unique. I mean sure, we see how powerful he is, but he really has no personality besides being evil for the sake of it. It feels like Ling and Greed from Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood, except Sakuna is more evil than Greed and you know he's plotting something. It's just that we don't get to see it in season 1, so there's nothing to go on about. On the flip side, the heroes are all great and feel unique with their own separate stories. I won't go into all of them since there are a lot of characters, so I'll only cover the main four. Yuji, the hero of the story, is your typical goofy hero and somehow has the most potential despite being a newcomer. Out of all the characters, he is the most bland, but it makes sense seeing how he's supposed to be the audience surrogate to the show and its concepts. He's meant to be this blank slate, but I think they inject him with enough personality to make him stand out a bit. One thing I do like is that he is portrayed as the typical need-to-save-any-and-everyone type of hero, but they subvert it a bit and Megumi even calls him out on it. During the cursed womb arc, where the gang's sent to a prison to investigate, Yuji sees a dying man and wants to save him, but Megumi points out that they're in a prison and the man is a legitimate criminal. 
And it's not like something light either, like he stole from a store or something. He's a reckless driver who's already been in trouble for driving without a license. And this time, he went and killed someone doing so. By episode 4, we already got this kind of subversion to the usual hero trait, and it's a valid reason too. They do cop out a bit when the conversation is interrupted, but at the very least they do address how saving everyone is flawed logic. Megumi himself is another great character in the show who develops early on. Like I said before, you would think he's the Sasuke or Vegeta of the gang, but he's really not. The only things they have in common are that they're quiet and serious. That's really it. He does have a tragic backstory, but unlike Sasuke, he uses it as a motivation to bring good to the world around him. He's not using it as fuel for revenge or using Jujutsu sorcerers as a means to an end. He legitimately wants to prevent another tragedy from happening ever again. He's more Batman than he is Sasuke when you think about it. Both are quiet and mysterious, but their intentions are pure and their motivation comes from a tragedy that happened to them long ago. The third classmate and teammate of Yuji and Megumi is a girl named Nobara Kugisaki. Nobara is also a newcomer to the Jujutsu Sorcerers, with a tragic backstory to boot. There's not much to say about the tragic backstory except it's pretty typical, but it does inform you on her personality. Nobara is a unique character when it comes to female characters in anime. She's not your typical Sunder or tomboy character. She's a no-nonsense, tough action girl, but at the same time, she's not afraid to show a more feminine and lighthearted side, such as going on a massive shopping spree on clothes, or openly looking for a modeling agency to scout her. It's not typical Sooner hijinks where they try to deny that they like something or get embarrassed when they're confronted about it. She has a great scene during the Kyoto Goodwill arc where she tells one of the Kyoto students she doesn't care about the tragic backstory since that's not an excuse to act a certain way and living within the standards of others is a lot of crap. Being true to herself and doing things she likes is what makes her happy. She doesn't care about what others think about her or what she does. It's that kind of attitude and writing that makes a great strong female character. Just because you made a female character have all these crazy superpowers doesn't automatically make them a strong character. They need a fleshed out and defined personality that shows that strength and perseverance, not just through physical power or being a generic cult stoic type. Nobara is a great example of personality and attitude over actual strength and power when it comes to a strong female character. That's not to say she's not physically strong, though she is a bit weaker compared to the rest, but that barely crosses your mind when you watch her fight, and she's just so full of confidence and bravado, and willing to do whatever it takes to win, regardless of the harm it does to her. Finally, we have Satoru Gojo, the teacher and mentor of the three main characters. Gojo is a boss. He feels like a main character from another show, and this is a follow-up to him being a mentor. While there are similarities to Kakashi from Naruto, I would say Gojo is infinitely the better character, and not just because of his powers. They put over Gojo fast and reveal enough to make him feel super important, but still mysterious enough that you want to know his backstory. His look is great unmasked too, and his self-awareness for being too powerful is a breath of fresh air. He knows he's too powerful and knows that's a liability to just rely on one person. He wants to train the next group of heroes to be better than him. This is different than All Might in Boku no Hero, since the whole show is about heroes 24-7, so teaching a new class isn't that special in that world, and not important to the plot when you think about it. In this show, it feels like there's a rush to train these main characters to be just as strong as Gojo. These characters need to be on Gojo's level, or at least close to it, just to stand a chance against the villains, and there isn't really anyone they can rely on to bail them out if Gojo's gone. This not only helps the hero's growth feel more important, but it also makes the villains feel more like a threat, even if they are a bit generic. The way Gojo elevates the heroes and villains is actually really clever writing, and this is all done while he's still at full power. It's not like he lost his strength and now there's this huge rush to teach these kids. It's that something wicked is coming and he alone isn't enough to fight it, and that really puts over the threat. It's power scaling that makes sense when you think about it, and that's a rare thing to come by these days.
Overall, I really do like this show, and I'm actually impressed at how much character development there was in only 24 episodes. While the plot hasn't progressed at all in season one, I think the show does the right thing by using their time to build up these characters first before throwing them into big story events. The buildup of the characters themselves are all very interesting, despite taking place in your usual shonen settings and arcs. That's just the strength of the writing, where the individual character development can make you forget how bland some of these things are. That said, the pacing of the story is pretty much non-existent in the grand scheme of things, so I can see how it can be a bit hard to get through. But it never really feels too slow. There's enough fun and interesting character moments to help keep the show moving along. Your mileage may vary, but for someone who usually doesn't have the patience for this kind of stuff, I found it pretty okay. The only arc I would say felt a bit too long was the verse Mahito arc, episodes 9 to 13. It's a good idea on paper, but Mahito himself isn't a very interesting villain. So after a while, you can already figure out where the arc's going, so it's not like there's any surprises or even a good payoff. Besides that, my last complaint is more of a nitpick. After the major battle at the end of the Kyoto Goodwill arc, there's a breather episode, and then the last three are just another standard monster for three weeks arc. I think season one should have ended on the Kyoto Goodwill arc, and then season two starts with the death painting arc, since all three main characters get a moment to shine, and it's a nice way of reintroducing the viewers to these characters. However, I have read ahead in the manga, and I know why they ended season one on this arc. It's basically perfect to start season two with the next arc, since the prequel movie's coming out first. But if you didn't know spoilers, you would feel that season one just ended flat and anticlimactic. Anyways, I think the show's pretty good, and with only 24 episodes, I would definitely recommend it. It's a shonen show that's actually good, and does something different for once. So if you haven't seen it yet, go check it out. But I think by now, anyone who watches anime has already seen this. Unless you're my co-host.